0: talking about this life in the kingdom of God. It it, it has come in Christ Jesus. And that kingdom is now growing in us and through us. And what we're doing now is we're, we're looking at the Old Testament and we're we're studying how the the plan of God is revealed in the Old Testament. It says in Romans 15, verse four, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. And he's speaking specifically here of the Old Testament scriptures. We have hope. Last week we looked at the beginnings. We looked at the book of Genesis and we understood the importance of trusting God and how these patriarchs, very much like us, very broken, and perfect people who learned to trust God and found God's blessing and God's will in trusting him. Today, we're going to, we're going to be in the rest of the Pentateuch from Exodus through Deuteronomy. And what we're going to learn is the importance of loving God. The plan of God is that we love God. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, why don't you go ahead and go to Exodus chapter one. Our, our focus text is actually in Deuteronomy, but uh, I want to, I want to give a little bit of background to, to get a sense of of what what happened so that we can see uh, what it is our, our scripture is commanding us and helping us with with today last week we finished and the the people of israel were in egypt and joseph had promised that he was going to take care of his brothers and so we finished in verse 20 and 21 of genesis 50 And i'm going to put it on the screen for you just as a reminder as for you you meant evil against me he's speaking to his brothers here But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And that's what Joseph did. He fulfilled his promise. And so when you when you leave Genesis and go into Exodus, that's 400 years. It didn't feel like 400 years, did it? That little page. That's 400 years. And so there were 70 people at the time when, when, when Joseph made that promise to his brothers. When we start the book of Exodus, there's between 1 and 1.2 million Israelites who are now living in Egypt. And, and you'll see there that, that, that there's a Pharaoh that's come that doesn't know Joseph. Doesn't know the blessing that was brought to this nation by the, the people of God. And so they are enslaved. And by the way, this was prophesied. This was no surprise to anyone that was paying attention to the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 15, a very important chapter that we didn't get to spend a lot of time in, God was renewing his covenant with Abraham. And there were some things that he said. One, in verse 13, I'll put it on the screen for you. He said, The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. As you open up to Exodus chapter 1 and you see the affliction, that's exactly what God promised Abram would happen. That there would be 400 years of of this pain and suffering. That's what they're going through, but God didn't leave it there. In verse 14, he goes on and he gives another promise. It says, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. What God promised Abram was was not only that through his family line, the nations of the world would be blessed. Remember Genesis 12, 1 through 3? He also promised there in in chapter 15 that there would be a promised land, that there would be a, a place for God's people to reside where the Messiah could come. And so we read in Genesis 15, 18. Again, this is on the screen just to give you a sense of the land that had been promised. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now to keep that promise, God had to raise up a leader. He had to raise up someone who would lead the the people of Israel who were in bondage out of that bondage into this promised land. So you see in Exodus chapter one, the pain and suffering and prayer. Look at, at Exodus chapter two, and you see the beginning of the provision of God. God providing Moses supernaturally There's life given, life provided. He's able to be raised to be a leader. And then in Exodus 3, after his sin, you see how God called him and and meant for him and intended for him to, to lead God's people. And so God is raising up, as he always does, a leader. And what we see in Exodus is a salvation experience like what all redeemed people have. If you are a Christian What what you can see in the book of Exodus is what you have and are experiencing. And and, and you're supposed to see it that way. The Bible tells us to see it that way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is amazing. Look at this. I put it on the screen for you. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's talking about the Exodus here, but look how he's tying their experience with the now Christian experience, a Christian experience that every redeemed person in this room has had. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that, that, that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Right here, the New Testament is saying what the Old Testament was talking about was Jesus Christ. And so we as believers are able to read the, the Old Testament, understanding that it is telling us what God has promised him to do and has done and will do and is continuing to do. Verse five: Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. This text shows us that the Old Testament was pointing to Christ. And what we are to do as Christians is that we are to look back at the Old Testament to understand who our God is and how he works in the world. God does not change. How God works and who he is stays the same. And, and the way we experience it is according to the word of God. I want to show you the parallels of this. And, and again, just, just, I'll, I'll post this later, but let's consider the similarities of Israel's experience and the Christian experience. Note, first of all, both were provided a savior from God. Moses was raised up to lead the salvation of God's people. Jesus Christ was given that he might bring salvation and lead us into eternal victory. Both saviors performed miracles to prove they were God's servants. So remember Moses had his staff it turned into a snake. Remember Moses was able to perform all those miracles that defeated the, the Egyptian gods. And what did Jesus do? How did he prove he was God? He performed miracles. He brought healing. He overcame the demons of his day to prove that he was God. Third, God provided a sacrificial lamb at Passover. It's interesting to note that that Jesus died at, at Passover. That that was that was not unintentional. Because on that first Passover, the what they call the Paschal Lamb, the Passover lamb, was given. You remember the story? The angel of death was coming. And the only way that people could be saved was by faith in the blood of the Lamb. And so a lamb was sacrificed, the blood was placed over the, the, the doorway of those who believed. And as the angel of as judgment came, the, the the angel of death would pass over those homes where the blood was present as a show of faith. Now the Lamb of God has been slain. The Lamb of God on that Passover weekend came and gave his life as a sacrifice so that by faith we are now saved. And we are saved from death and punishment and the power of sin. So God provided the sacrificial lamb at Passover, and then the people passed through water to identify with their Savior. And so you see here in, in our text that, in, in, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 10, that, that the people, they passed through water to identify with their Savior, Moses, to show that they were God's people. Now we pass through water after salvation. We are baptized. Every true believer is to experience Believers baptism, not not infant baptism, not a baptism that was chosen for you, a baptism that you chose, a baptism that you walked into knowingly stating that you identify yourself as a Christian. Your old life has been buried. You have been washed clean. You've been raised to walk in a new life in him. And and then the the people received God's word. So they received the 10 commandments and that happened on Mount Sinai. Now, tough reading is the book of Leviticus. So when you look at the Pentateuch, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And what you have there is the Levitical law code. And that happened there on Mount Sinai. And what God was doing was showing the meticulous nature of his holiness, his power and his might, and what it means to be redeemed and saved. And it helps us understand the greatness of the blood of Jesus. What we have in Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word of God, John 1 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what they were given was the law. What we were given is the word made flesh. And now we have not only the the, the 10 commandments revealed in the Levitical law code, we also have provision. God provided for their needs. Now. In Numbers, we read about how he provided the manna and the water, how he provided the pillar of fire by by night and the the cloud by day. And and what do we have? Well, we have Jesus. He is the bread of life. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly for for this physical manifestation reminder of God's provision And, and why it is we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who guides us by day and by night. And then lastly, God provided home. Their home was the promised land. Our home is heaven and it's a journey. It's a journey there. And so as you're reading the Old Testament, when you're reading the Pentateuch in particular, you're reading Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. What you're reading there is a journey. It's a revelation of God, of who he is, of how he saves, of how he works in in the world. And so when we come to the book of Deuteronomy, so let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. When you come, to, go ahead and go to chapter 30. When you come to the book of Deuteronomy, understand what you've come to is as a time when the people had now been journeying for 40 years. They weren't supposed to be journeying for 40 years. They refused to go into the land uh, just under two years into their process, but they did not trust God. And they didn't really love God. And so at this point, they've been journeying for, for 40 years, and there's only two of the 1.2 million people who are going to get to go in. Not even Moses is going to get to go into the promised land. And again, God spoke to this in Numbers chapter 14, verse 30. It's on the screen for you. No, um, Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb and Joshua. And this is what God promised. And so you've got Moses. He's about to die. And so what Deuteronomy is, remember this, what Deuteronomy is, it's a sermon. The book of Deuteronomy is a sermon. And what Moses was doing is he was reminding the people of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. He's retelling the story. He's talking through the experiences. He's pointing them now to God's will, to God's purposes. And this is basically Moses' last word. He's about to die. The last words that a person speaks are important. They're powerful. I, I've been reading a few books on this. Um, I just got this one. I, I've been reading it. It's called Dying Words of Good and Bad Men Contrasted. It's, it's written by Daniel Kidder. It comes, it was written in 1848. And what he did was he, he researched the last things that, that godly and ungodly people said. In the last century, this this whole concept has been taken up again. I'm reading two other books, Voices on the Edge of Eternity and Dying Testimonies, two other books written in the last 10 years. And what they are is a compilation of stories of how people died and what they said right before they died. And it says so much about the person. It says so much about their mindset and their own spiritual condition of what they saw and, and what they were experiencing. What we have in Moses here, what we're getting in Deuteronomy is a solemn call to love and obey the one true God. This is Moses speaking to the people of the blessings and the faithfulness or the curses and unfaithfulness that that they get to choose. Guys, remember, the plan of God is for us to love God. And what our text today shows us, it shows us what happens when you truly love God. So let's go to Deuteronomy 30. We're gonna be in verses 15 through 20, but I'm gonna ask Ryder to come and read for us verses 15 and 16. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Deuteronomy 30. Ryder's gonna just read for us a couple of these verses, verses 15 through 16. Ryder, go ahead and read that for us. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to take possession of it. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, amen? Amen, thank you, writer. If you would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. I don't know exactly when it was. I think it was in late 1988, although it may have been in early 1989, something, very significant happened to me, um, something that changed my life. I I'd accepted Christ in the summer of 1988, but sometime that fall, and it may have been early next year, I had come to a, a, a conclusion that it scared me a little bit. And that conclusion was this, is that I loved Carrie Summer. I, I was very surprised by that. I, I, I had never really loved anyone very selfish person and that love absolutely changed my life so in 1993 I asked her to marry me and she said yes in 1994 we were married and I can tell you that her her life and my love for her has radically changed me this this whole idea of love is is overwhelming when you think about it. The best things that have happened in my life have, have come about with, with Carrie. She's always the one that God has had right there with me. It, it hasn't always been easy. We've, we've had difficulties, we've, we've had many good days, we've, we've gone through many trials, and yet through it all, there's been blessing. And this love, this, this very simple concept I don't feel the need to give you a big definition for it. Love has changed me. And and I want you to understand and, and realize, if you don't already, what we love will determine how we live. What you love will determine how you live. My love for my wife, for Carrie, changed how I lived. It was amazing the things that she taught me not to say. You know, the things not to wear. I didn't know that your shoes and belt were supposed to match. Who knew? It was little things and big things, and it was all wrapped into this wonderful thing. I cared what she thought, and I wanted her to be happy. I wanted her to be pleased, and it changed the way I lived. If we love God, it's going to change our life. That love is gonna change the way we live. And what I see in our text and what I wanna share with you are two things that are gonna happen, two things that you're gonna choose if you truly love God. What I'm giving you and what I love to do for you, I love to give you a litmus test. What I'm giving you today is a litmus test so you can examine your own heart and you can come to a conclusion as to your true affections, where they lie and if they are really toward God. Let me encourage you to remember, write down two things. The first is this, thus, those who love God, those who truly love God, they walk in his commands. Those who love God walk in God's commands. God made clear his desire for his people. God's desire was that his people would be blessed and, and, And he leaves us to pursue that, to pursue him, to pursue his blessing. We all choose what we get. What your life becomes, what your life is, is based on your choice and where you place your affections. God has set before us two options. Look in the text. Look at verse 15 and 16. God has set before us life and good which is what he made us for. You go, that harkens back to Genesis 1 and 2, that God gave us life and he said it was good. This is what God intended. But because of sin, because of our choosing to sin, now there's death and evil. Now we are born with a sin nature, with evil, and the consequences are death but because of the gospel, because of the love of God, because God himself became flesh, because Jesus lived a holy life, because he died for the punishment of our sin, because he's been raised now to live in us and overcome the power of sin. We can have a new nature that is good and we can have a new destiny that is life, but we must choose it. Friends, it's not just going to happen. When we think about Reality again. Reality is that God's design is perfect, but because of our sin, there's now brokenness. And the only thing that can overcome our brokenness is what Christ has done. We must repent. That—that is, we must choose to go a new direction. We must turn away from self-sufficiency. We must believe in what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus, and to love Him for it, and choose to live in what God has done, friends. Repentance is more than just change in behavior and belief is more than than, than just a a change in the way we we think. Both of these are precipitated. Both of these come from a change of the heart. Friends, there there are some who know more scripture than, than, than us. There are some who actually do good moral things, maybe better than some of us. But because they do not love God, it doesn't change who they are. It doesn't drive them in the way that brings God's blessing. Friends, a change in action, a change in the way we think, it's driven by our love. I appreciate what James Smith said in his book, You Are What You Love. It is our loves that orient us towards something ultimate, towards some ultimate end rather. The question isn't whether you will love something as ultimate. The question is what you will love as ultimate. And you are what you love. Friends, do you love God? Do you love God? If you do, well, you're going to walk in his commands. Like what it says in verse 16. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I command you today by, again, instrumental prepositional phrase, by loving the Lord, by loving the Lord your God. What, what will cause change in your behavior? What will cause change in your thinking? Love, loving God. Do you love God? The results are amazing. Look what it says. Then you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you. And what is that blessing? The, the, the blessing of God is, is, is something... <sighs> It's beautiful. When when I do a marriage ceremony, I almost always read Ecclesiastes chapter four. That there's just something powerful about it that speaks to the blessing of God. It says in verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man may, might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-four cord is not quickly broken. I love what we're seeing in a lot of marriage ceremonies today is as couples, as I'm reading that, couples are taking three strands and one represents the husband, one represents the wife, and one represents Christ. And they are, they are braiding it. And it's a picture of, of, of what a Christian marriage looks like. One man One woman wrapped up in Christ Jesus. And the great blessing of God, and don't ever forget this, is that God is with us. The great blessing of God is His blessing. Listen, the great blessing of God is not that we won't, is not the absence of hardship, the absence of loss, the absence of pain. Friends, that's life. You're going to suffer a broken world. You're going to experience loss, and it's going to hurt. You're going to to face all kinds of pain, but the great blessing of God is that we are never alone. Carrie and I have experienced some of those wonderful blessings in life, and we have been hurt to the core by loss, and people, and words, and deeds, and yet through it all, there's been one constant and that's been God. God has been with us. He has shown us. You know, one of the things that uh, I, I found out this week—it's weird. You know, they're not making photo albums anymore. Yeah. Easy, Chris. Easy. It's—it's. <laughs> it's, it's, I know it's. I mean, I'm a—I'm a guy. I do everything digital. But you would think, why would you care about? I like. I know. Is, I know. I could flip through my. but I don't know what it is. I like looking at those photos because. When I'm looking at those photos, I can remember what was going on when those photos were made. I remember the spanking it took to get the child to smile, right? I remember when we went to ice cream after the the photo went okay and how one got got some and the other one begrudgingly did, but I wouldn't have but they have a mother. And so these you know, and I it's more than just that moment though. I can remember things that were going on in my heart and mind. I remember things that were going on in our church. I remember events that were happening in other people's lives. And and through it all, you know what I kept kept being reminded of? God was there. God was there. I can look back at pictures and I can remember God was there because God, God keeps this promise. Let me give you a promise. Please keep this promise. Please know this promise. Please remember this promise. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. So beautiful. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God, God, he had promised the children of Israel that he would bless them in in the life they were choosing in the land of promise. Now, that land and that promise, it was gonna be filled with battles, loss, challenges beyond their ability. And so is the Christian life. Your life is gonna be filled with battles and conflict if you're gonna have relationships with other human beings. It's going to be filled with opportunities and challenges and pain and happiness. And here's the good news. Again, another promise, Romans 8, 28. Make sure you know this one. And we know that for those who love God, now look at that condition. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So I ask you again, do you love God? Do you truly love God? Then if you do, you will walk in his ways happily. If you do not love God, your, your actions will show it. I'm reading for the fourth time in four years uh, a book by Bunyan. I've, I've, the last four years, I've started the year by reading Bunyan's classics. And I highly recommend Pilgrim's Progress 1 and 2. And then if you don't know this one, you need to know this one, Holy War. Holy War is an allegory about man's soul. And it's the story of how uh, Mansoul was deceived by the devil... But Emmanuel came and rescued Mansoul. But having rescued Mansoul, the, the devil was still at work trying to dissuade Mansoul from being faithful to God. And he was able to use carnal trust. So carnal trust came on the scene and carnal trust said, oh, you don't have to trust Emmanuel. You don't need Emmanuel. You just need money and pleasure and laughter and fun and parties. You, you don't need. And so they turned their back on Emmanuel. And man's soul began to get sick. There are four things, I'm gonna read these. These come directly from the text itself. And I want you to, to question your own soul. Are any of these true of you? Because this is what led to the sickness of the soul. And this, this came when they turned their backs on, on their love for God. First of all, they broke fellowship with him and no longer visited him or came to his royal palace. That is, they stopped praying. Second, they didn't regard or take notice that he no longer came to visit them. They stopped hearing from God. Have you, when was the last time you heard directly from God? When you knew that was a direct word from God for me. Are you hearing from God? I'm not talking about some emotional thing. I'm talking about a factual, knowable, from the word of God, hearing from God. Third, Though we continued to hold love feasts between their prince and them, as was the custom, they neglected to come to them or be delighted with them. They stopped gathering for worship. And if they did come, they did it begrudgingly. They weren't, they weren't wide-eyed looking. They weren't, they weren't smiling. They were just going through the motions. All right, what do we sing? Oh, I don't even like these songs. I don't even know why we sing these songs. Oh, good grief. The Old Testament, oh, great. Something else, I don't know. I'm sure he's going to quote Hebrew. Fourth, they no longer waited for his guidance but became headstrong. They considered themselves strong and invincible and thought mansoul secure. They thought mansoul was beyond all reach of the enemy and her state would be unalterable forever. They stopped living in dependence on God. Friends, does this describe you in any way? Do you love God? See, if you love God, there's going to be a change in your behavior. And it's going to produce something. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And how do we get that kind of fruit? Jesus said there's only one way. John fifteen five, I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And so that's the second thing that you'll do if you truly love God, write it down and remember. Those who love God abide in God's presence. Abide in God's presence. Look at verse 17. But if your heart turns away, what's that mean? If your affections turn away, if you stop loving God, if you stop making him first, if you stop delighting in him, And you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, which is what happens. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter to possess. I call heaven and earth witnesses against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live how? Verse 20, look at that preposition. I'm sorry, that, 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 that participle. Loving the Lord, your God. Loving him. That's what it means to abide in him. It's to love him. Friends, this is a choice. Every day you get to choose what you love, what you put first. If you don't put him first, you will be drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. We're going to love and worship something. The question is what? And whatever we love and worship, it will drive our thoughts. It will drive our concerns. It will drive our hope. It will drive our purpose. What we love, that's where our thoughts abide, where our concerns abide, where our hope abides. to where our purpose abides. I was at a pastor's conference last week or two weeks ago. And the pastor, one of the speakers was, was sharing his story and it made me think about my story. And it made me think about the things that, that Carrie and I had been through. And this week, uh, I, I, was, I was talking to some ministers. And as that guy was talking, he made a joke because he showed a picture of himself. And he said, man, if I could go back to that day, I would tell myself, don't wear those pants. <laughs> and it got me thinking, what if I could go back to, the, to when I was 18 years old right before I was leaving to go play college football, and then a year from then ministry, what would I tell myself? As I was talking to these ministers, these young ministers this week that, again, God's design. As I was editing the sermon yesterday, I was thinking, I hope I told them this, but I probably didn't. I probably got so caught up in methods and and, and theology that I forgot to tell them the one thing that I would go back and tell myself, and, and that's this. If I could tell myself one thing, it would be enjoy the journey by abiding with God. Friends, enjoy the journey by abiding with God. You're gonna have bad days. Your heart's gonna break. You're gonna get hurt. You're gonna do some, some things that that you're gonna be ashamed of. You're gonna get mad you're also going to be really happy. You're also going to laugh. You're going to have friends. You're going to do some cool stuff with your life. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a flash. One of our senior adults told me, as you get to the end of your life, you realize life is like toilet paper. It goes fast at the end. (laughs) And so as it's unwinding, enjoy the journey by abiding in Christ. What what do I mean by that? I mean, know that he's there and talk to him. Know that he has a plan, trust him. And above all else, know that he loves you. He's shown you that he loves you. He's proven his love for you. Love him in return, just love him. And say, Lord, I'm yours. You, you've got me. You know what's best for me. You know me better than I know me. And here's what he'll do. He'll guide you. Remember what he did for Moses and the people? There was something that was there by day and by night. What was it? It was that pillar, remember? The cloud by day, the fire by night. Think about how practical that was of God. They were going through a desert. Don't you know there were some days where that sun was just beating down? And what did that, that cloud provide? Shelter. There were some cold nights. That temperature drops. I imagine the desert's like living in Kentucky, right? One day you're sunburned, the next day it snows you in, and then in between the rain comes and, and there's a tornado, right? That's... But at night when it would get cold, there was warmth. And so it is with God. It's not going to be easy, no. But God's there. And when you abide in him, this, this fruit comes out of your life. What does it look like? I think this is one of the best pictures in all of the Bible. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, what's he like? He's like a tree planted, abiding by streams of water, like the living water of Jesus Christ. That yields its fruit in its seasons, the fruit of the Spirit, and its leaf doesn't wither. Yeah, there's hot days. Yes, there's cold nights. And all that he does, he prospers. What does it mean to prosper? Doesn't mean you get everything you get, it means you get God in whatever you get. You get God in the midst. You get the hope of God, the promises of God, and you can know that it is well. So that at the end of your life, and it's going to get here sooner than you think. You can look back and say, Lord, I, I sure didn't run this race perfect. But you sure were faithful. It didn't go the way I thought it would. But in every turn, you were there. You never abandoned me. And I love you. I still love you. And I am so grateful that you still love me. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I I am so grateful for your love for us. And Lord, I can't help but know there's some in this room that don't know this love. They know religion. They know ought to's. But Father, I don't know that they know you. And I pray today that they would. And if you want the love of God, you've got to choose it, friends. So right there where you are, if you've never repented of your sin, if you've never turned away from self-sufficiency and put your trust completely in Christ, do it right now. I'm gonna ask our care leaders to come forward. They're gonna be here to talk to you at the end of the service. Now, now some of you are Christians. Let me, let me ask you to take that quick litmus test. Are you walking in the commands of God? Are you abiding in Him? Is the fruit being produced? Is there a freedom in knowing The promise that you're not alone. And God's got a plan. He's working it all for good. Do you know that peace? It only comes through love. Repent. Repent if you're trusting in something else. And if you need help, come to the altar and pray as we get ready to leave. Ask God for His help. He's with you, He's for you. He knows what's best. Commit your heart to Him, be available walk by faith and enjoy the journey by abiding in him. Father, thank you for this joy. Thank you for this life. Thank you for the kingdom of God that we get to have life in and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.